Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Struggle. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Friday, December 3rd, 2021 is struggle. What a struggle. Everybody struggles. We don't use that word enough. We actually use it too much, don't we? Rob Manford did a press conference yesterday. It is day two of the Major League Baseball lockout. And no, we're not going to do a countdown of every single day. We're not growing a beard. We're not doing anything like that. But when things come up during the course of the lockout, negotiations, press conferences, press releases, any movement of any kind by either side, I want to talk about it because I want to explain why people are saying what they're saying, doing what they're doing, and what's actually happening every single day. So the owners vote earlier in the day on Wednesday to lock out Wednesday night or 1159 p.m. when the collective bargaining agreement ran out. Owners get into a meeting. It's a Zoom call. In the old days, it would just be a phone call. Zoom call, you take a vote. You need 23 votes to instruct the commissioner to lock out the players. So they get the vote. Then the commissioner's office It is a formal act by management following all the protocols, all the rules, all the laws. You've heard the commissioner talk about NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, the National Labor Relations Act. You institute a lockout. And then you saw some of the fallout yesterday. Some of the fallout included players changing their Twitter pictures to the blank silhouettes that were being used on MLB.com. We talked to you yesterday about why MLB.com has gotten rid of all content involving current players. Not as an FU to the players, that is a matter of law. The union may or may not have explained that to its players. The players may or may not have cared to think about it or understand it because what they're doing is trying to curry your favor by feeling sorry, having you feel sorry for them because look, it's not my face anymore. It's just a shadow picture. And I explained to you, well, the reason for that is the rights granted under the collective bargaining agreement for MLB.com to use the players' likenesses, those rights, and with the collective bargaining agreement. The collective bargaining agreement was not extended after December 1st. It ran out. There is no agreement in baseball on anything. It is a blank slate. One of the, th- one of the ways you could look at it is that the players and the owners could start over and draw up an all-new collective bargaining agreement that governs the rule of play, including changing the number of innings of the game, the number of outs in an inning, the number of pitches in an at-bat, the number of players on the field, 
the number of games in a season, anything and everything you can think of. It's blank. But in reality, what you do is you take the last collective bargaining agreement that is now expired, use that as a framework, and you make changes for the lawyers out there. It's you redline the document and you come up with a new collective bargaining agreement and the red line shows the differences from what you had to what you are now having after an agreement. Those changes are summarized to players and owners, votes are taken, and then you've got a new collective bargaining agreement. Part of the collective bargaining agreement is the right of owners to use players' faces. So all these players are on Twitter and I was laughing pretty hard watching them take advantage of it. Then there was another player who said he was struggling, Talon, a pitcher who was who's rehabbing right now, and he gave a tweet that was meant, just so you know, every tweet from a player and every comment from an owner is all siphoned through the commissioner and the union. There is no individual team or executive who will tweet anything that has not been pre-approved by the commissioner's office. The commissioner's office already told the teams, you will have no comment during the pendency of this lockout. None, not one, shh, zip it. When asked by a reporter to comment on the lockout, the St. Louis Cardinals responded, we have no comment and will not have comment. That's what the rule is. Bud Selig used to make a rule that the owners couldn't talk to each other, not in owners' meetings. He did that because he didn't want any factions to develop. He would struggle only when there were different cliques in Major League Baseball. That was a big part of the 94-95 strike when the small revenue teams then called small market, now by Rob called small market, but I call them small revenue, low revenue versus high revenue. The Marlins are low revenue. The Yankees are high revenue. I don't call Miami a small market. Miami is not. It just acts like one from a revenue standpoint, which used to be only my fault, but now it turns out to be everybody's fault from Wayne Huizinga to John Henry to Jeffrey Laurier to me to Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman. But you don't want these clicks to develop because clicks, if they have eight owners in them, that all of a sudden becomes a block. And that block, eight, because then you can only get 22 on the other side, can actually become more powerful than the 22. If you get a group of eight together, you can change the world in baseball. So the commissioner's job is to make sure eight never get together. To do that, you make sure two don't ever get together. So you make sure that you control exactly when and how owners communicate. On the player's side, it's the same thing. One of the issues that the players have during a lockout is they don't have access to team facilities. They are literally locked out of those facilities. So this pitcher who's rehabbing said, I've got such great rehab people with my team and it's too bad that I can't do that anymore. It's too bad that I'm going to have to find someone else. I hope it works out for me. What a struggle. So in the real world, that's not exactly how this happens. While it's true that team rehab personnel are not allowed to rehab the player in team facilities, I promise you 
that when you've got a player who is rehabbing from Tommy John or other such injuries, you have worked with that player to find a place for him to rehab. You are controlling that rehab and you are participating in that rehab. Shh, don't tell the commissioner. Don't tell him. Don't tell Tony Clark, the head of the union. Let's not tell anyone. Let the union continue to say to the public, oh my God, I may not be back in time because I can't work. And let the commissioner tell you teams are not involved with players at all. It's not the case at all. So once the lockout is announced and the letter goes out to fans the way Rob sent, and we broke down that letter to you yesterday, the next day, which would be yesterday after the show was recorded, that's when you have to actually meet the media and answer questions. One of the big rules of meeting the media when you are in a labor war, and that's a terrible word. They're not in a war. No one's going to die. They're in a labor struggle. Word of the day is when you are talking to the media, you are talking to two distinct groups of people. And when you confuse who you're talking to, you end up hurting your position. The two groups of people you're talking to when you're the commissioner are the fans and the players. You're not talking to the owners because he has those talks off camera. You actually specifically say to the owners, hey, do not pay attention to anything I do in the media. When I've got something meaningful to say that involves you, the teams, I will speak directly to you. But when I meet the media, I'm talking to fans and I'm also talking to players. When the players meet the media, they have a slightly different vantage point. One of the struggles that exists when you are Tony Clark running a players union is you've got 1,200 members of your team. Rob Manford has 30. That's a big difference. When Tony Clark meets the media, he's talking to one group He's not talking to you, the fan. I promise you that. He's not talking to the owners. There's enough back-channeling there. By the way, if Bud Selig or Rob Manford ever caught you talking to the union outside of the bargaining or talking to an agent outside of the official bargaining, you would be subject to substantial fines because we have a relationship with agents. So in theory, I could call an agent who I would see out on a random Tuesday night at the Fountain Blue and say, hey, where are you on the following four issues? Because here's where we are. Let's see if we can get closer and I'll go back to the owners. You go back to the players and let's see if we can make some progress. The commissioner does not want any random team executives talking to agents. But Tony Clark, when he meets the media, He's got to talk to the 1,200 players because while he's got an executive committee, which is really Boris at all, he also knows that he needs 50.1% or 601 votes based on a 1,200-person union in order to get a CBA passed. So it's fascinating to listen when both sides meet the media, and they did. Rod Manford spent a bunch of time answering questions, and he did it from Dallas where he had been engaged in negotiations leading up to the lockout. And during the course of meeting the media, he said something very interesting that I can't let pass. Coca, play it for me. 
let's take five-year free agency. I think that the, you know, we already have um, teams in smaller markets that struggle to compete. Um, shortening the period of time that they control players makes it even harder for them to compete. It's also bad for fans in those markets. The most negative reaction we have is when a player leaves via free agency. It, it, we don't see that making it earlier, available earlier. We don't see that as a positive. The most negative reaction we have is when a player leaves via free agency. So the way I look at it from a macro standpoint is that one player leaving means that one player is coming. So let's just take the latest free agent. Let's just take Corey Seager. Texas Rangers lost over 100 games last year. They're in the market. They're signing free agents. They bring in Corey Seager, give him $325 million over 10 years. The Dodgers fan base, negative. The Rangers fan base, positive. Net, zero. Every free agent who switches teams brings excitement to the team where he's going and despondency to the team from where he comes. So if you're going to talk to fans and say the most negative reaction we have is when a player leaves via free agency, you better follow that up by saying the most positive reaction and the greatest thing we have for ticket sales are teams who have the ability to sign and then do sign free agents. And when you're talking to fans the way Rob is and to players the way Rob is, you better make sure you're clear which sentence is to who. Because he meant for that to be to the fans, except he's only talking to half of the fans. But his real underlying point is that he doesn't want free agency to occur before six years. That has been the rule since free agency started. Free agency at six years means for the first six years of a player's career, that player is stuck playing for the team who drafted him or who traded for him. And once you attain six years of service time, meaning you've been in the league for six years, then you can decide where to play. Fascinating, right? Why would the players want five years until free agency and the owners want six years? The real reason for that is not what you think. I'm in favor of free agency after one year and I only worked in low revenue teams. I am perfectly fine with every player I have leaving after a year, but I have access to every other player. And you marry that with no long-term contracts, all one-year deals, everyone starts over every year. Well, fans would say that's terrible. Then I can't get attached to players. And that was Rob's point to the media, to you, the fans, that what you like is continuity. I lived through that in Florida. I lived through you telling me in Florida that you couldn't stand that the Marlins were other teams' minor league system, that we would develop players just to trade them to other teams. But what you were really saying is you didn't like the losing. It's not that you were upset with player movement because I would point out with facts that the Marlins had the same amount of player turnover as every other team, that we had as many players from our 03 World Series team two years later as every other World Series winning team had two years later. 
or that we held our core together from 06, the Dan Ugly years. We held that core together as long as every other team does. We just couldn't win. During that period of time, we were over 500, but we couldn't make the playoffs. We couldn't win another ring. We kept the core of players, the Hanley Ramirez core together as long as possible. Then we did the Stanton Yelich Ozuna core, but it turns out that what you didn't care about was not the player movement. You were upset that we kept losing. So that's really on me. So in a collective bargain agreement, when we are arguing over when players become free agents and we want it to be at six years instead of five, that's actually a money issue. When free agency comes earlier, that means that players can make more money earlier than, that, than, than they would make in arbitration. If Aaron Judge were a free agent this year instead of next year, he would get 30 million instead of 20. That 10 million is an extra 10 million that the players are getting in payroll that the owners do not want to give. The owners view payroll in totality. They take payrolls of 30 teams, they add them together, and that is player compensation. How that player compensation is divided is of great interest to the union because of the competitive balance, luxury, tax threshold. If all teams had the same payroll, do you think the players union would care about revenue sharing or the players union would care about tanking? The players union wants to make sure that there's enough places for players to go and enough payroll for those players when they go to get paid. The reason that the players want five-year free agency is only if they don't get other concessions as it relates to a salary floor or to tanking or other ways that salaries would be higher and spread spread out across more teams. If you only have 10 teams at 180 million or above in payroll, then there is a limit to where players can go who deserve to make $15 million or more, let's say. So just be careful when you hear about struggles because as a small market operator, as a low revenue operator, I was interested in revenue sharing and making sure teams at the top of the revenue pyramid were not hiding revenue and therefore distributing less revenue to those at the bottom. The players want to decrease revenue sharing. That's one of the big problems of this negotiation is one of their proposals was to take $100 million out of the revenue sharing pot. And the reason they wanna do it is they want the higher revenue teams to keep as much money as possible because he thinks they're gonna spend it. And when you give it to the lower revenue teams, sometimes they don't spend it. But there's a rule. Revenue sharing dollars must be spent to improve the product on the field. Do you know how we got away with that, with the Marlins? Whenever we were accused by the union of not spending our revenue sharing dollars on the team, we had to submit a letter every year. Dear Rob, with the CC to Tony, this year the Marlins got $42 million in revenue sharing and this is how we used it. We increased our minor league development program and spent $3 million on additional coordinators. Then we spent $4 million on 
increasing the salaries of minor league players who we hope to become major leaguers, and our payroll went from $42 million to $58 million. Added up, we spent the $40 million to improve the product on the field. But the definition in the CBA of improving the product on the field does not mean major league payroll. It doesn't say that. The union is despondent that it's not in the CBA, that improving product on the field is solely defined in capital letters as a defined term of increased payroll. You must use revenue sharing to in your payroll. doesn't say that. Players union would love that. The owners will never agree to that. There are not 23 votes in the ownership group to say that all revenue sharing dollars received must go to payroll. Not going to happen. The Cleveland Guardians get more in revenue sharing than their whole payroll. So do the Orioles. Doesn't make it right. Just makes it a fact. So Coke and I are talking about what's happening right now. And we were talking about my wait to see from December 1st, 2021. That was a good wait to see. It wasn't from December 1st. Yeah, I think it was that a lockout will begin immediately after expiration. And it, it did. That was a yes. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen, and then it does. And so I want to just tell you that we knew the lockout was going to start immediately. That was obvious. I want to give you a wait to see for today, and I'm going to back into it a little bit by talking about how the negotiations are going right now, what the bargaining table is like. Right now, there are no meetings happening. It's not Rob Manford and Tony Clark in a room talking. They are not having face-to-face meetings at this point. When they do have face-to-face meetings, you've got owners from the labor group headed by Dick Monfort. There's a bunch of owners, including John Henry of the Red Sox. They, They put large revenue owners in there. They put small revenue owners in there. And then there's a bunch of players from the executive council. Those are the Scott Boris five plus two others. And then you've got Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer, who are the one and two in the union. You've got Dan Hallam, and Dan Hallam has a bunch of people who support him. So what the negotiating actually looks like when it's in person is in a large room, much as I told you, you've got a room just for owners, a room just for the union, and then you've got a room where you talk together. And you basically are talking about issues, trying to check issues off the list. But in-person meetings are not the only way that we are going to get done with a lockout. There are phone calls, there are emails, there are texts, there are sidebar meetings, all carefully coordinated and puppeteered by the commissioner and by Bruce Meyer. Max, do me a favor. You can have a phone call with Andrew Friedman or with Steve Cohn or with Dan Hallam. So there will be examples where specific players will be asked to speak to specific team representatives When that offer is made, the team representative has to ask the commissioner whether or not he can or she or they can speak to the player or the agent or the union rep. And then there is a downloading of what happened during those conversations. There are people in charge under Dan Hallam in charge of coordinating and making sure everything is in writing, what's been negotiated, what's been discussed to keep track of the issues. But the one thing that you need to get an agreement is a pressure point. 
And Rob Manford, in his comments during the press conference, said he believes the lockout is the best way to pressure the union into getting back to the table and to getting a deal and providing a long enough runway to not miss games. He is sorely mistaken. Tony Clark in his press conference said, hey, we're locked out. They didn't have to do it. That was their decision. He knew it was coming, by the way. Not only did they not have to do it, but if they think that we're now going to be incentivized to negotiate or to give up our positions, he's wrong. We're okay. We're in it for the long haul. The problem with these two sides is they're talking over each other so much that they can't hear a word that they're saying. It's all garbled, and that's the struggle that we have, which is why my wait to see on day two of the lockout, this lockout is not ending before February 1st, and we're going to start with that. February 1st would be the last day of a lockout for an agreement to be announced for spring training to start on time February 15th. This lockout will not end before February 1st, which means spring training will, reporting will not happen on February 15th. Okay. Thank you. Oh, we got to take a break. We take a break. We're going to review a movie. I watched a fascinating movie, and I want to talk a little bit about what I watched last night with Alec Baldwin, and we're going to give you an update of what's going on in China. Hang on. Come back, please. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. You made it through the gauntlet. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you for making November such a great month, for downloading, for listening, for following, for subscribing, for reviewing on Apple, getting on YouTube, by the way. Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. You can check out the Blazer of the Day. You can also start to learn my Blazer rotation. You can also subscribe to the channel. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Watch a movie every day. Love streaming. Spent six bucks and rented a movie called Old Henry. Have you heard of it? It's a sort of Western about a farmer who finds cash. It reminded me of No Country for Old Men. He finds a satchel of cash and says, wow, this probably is not mine. And if I take this satchel of cash, it's likely that Javier Bardem or someone like him is going to come after me. But of course, this takes place back before there were electric cattle prods that could be shoved in your brain and kill you. That's what the villain used in No Country for Old Men. Do you remember that? If you haven't seen that movie, it's an Academy Award winning movie. It's brilliant. 
and he is the number one villain for me in a top five villains. The number one villain is Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. What he does, what he carries around with him is that uh, that tank that provides some sort of shot. It's not a gun because it's like a, a weight that comes out of a, that goes right into your brain. It kills you and then comes back out. And then the person's just dead. So in the old west, it doesn't really work that way. It works with guns, etc., and knives. And the star of this movie is the guy from The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is another movie we reviewed, Tim Blake Nelson. Old Henry is so entertaining and so well acted and well written that it's not getting enough attention. So if you have time, and if you've got an extra $5 or a streaming site where you steal the movies, which I'm never gonna use because it's not nice to people who make the movies, check out Old Henry. There's some twists. All right, I want to provide an update to you on something that happened that was quite interesting. Do you remember the story of Peng Shui, the women's tennis player, the, the majors, she won doubles, big tournaments, French Open, Wimbledon, and then she posted that she was sexually assaulted by a now 75-year-old Chinese national, one of the higher-ups in the government. Then she disappeared then her entire story was recanted. Her internet was scrubbed like J-Lo scrubbed A-Rod is how her feed looked about any of her claims against China. And then China said, we're all good here. Then the WTA said, we're not all good here. Then there was a question about the Beijing Olympics, question about whether she was dead. Well, China paraded her out had her make a public appearance, had her say that she was fine and safe. She was taking some time with her family. And then they had her do a call with Dick Pound. Yes, that is not funny. That's the name of the IOC representative. Why did China ask Peng Shui to let Dick Pound of the IOC know that everything's good here? Let's think about that. Do you have your answer yet? Because the IOC is responsible for whether or not the Beijing Olympics are going to continue and the Beijing Olympics are starting quite soon. What day did they start in COCA? But it's soon, in a matter of months. The IOC can't move the Olympics this close. They can't switch locations. They can't have them in China if they believe that there's something bad going on in China. The Olympics start two months from tomorrow. So you think that the IOC was going to say anything other than, hey, I spoke to her and I agree. She is in good shape. She's fine. We are GTG with the Olympics. It's the most self-serving bunch of crap I've ever heard. The IOC said, we've taken a very human and person-centered approach to her situation. She's a three-time Olympian. The IOC is addressing these concerns directly with Chinese sports organizations. Yeah, sure you are. We are using quiet diplomacy, they said. Hmm. Do you believe them that the IOC is using any sort of diplomacy that they actually care about their athletes or their athletes' safety or they care about what China's doing and what kind of censorship China uses? 
and what really happens? Do you think the IOC is more like LeBron or more like Enos? What do you think? I think the IOC would have looked at a dead body and said that wasn't her. And China would have released it and said, you're right, that's somebody else. Come to Beijing now. It's an outrage. But the Women's Tennis Association has bigger principles because they have fewer dollars at stake. Is that cynical of me to say that dollars and principles are sometimes directly correlated? That when there's less to lose, you are willing to risk more? The WTA yesterday or the day before decided to pull out of China. They will not hold any women's tennis tournaments in China. And there are several of them, and it will cost them maybe, let's call it hundreds of millions of dollars. Nothing near what an Olympics would be. But they get to say that we are taking a stand, and they have led the charge here under WTA head Steve Simon by saying we don't believe that she's actually free. We don't believe that she can express her true opinions. We believe that this assault needs to be investigated. We believe that China's not doing enough. And as a result, we're pulling our business. Do you know what China did as a result? Nothing. China doesn't want to lose the Olympics, but losing women's tennis tournaments, if that's the price of communism, and that's the price of pain, and that's the price of control and censorship, That's a small price to pay. So I applaud the WTA for what they did, but I hope you recognize that the impact of what they did is de minimis at best. Good PR. It's not going to change China. The IOC had an opportunity to take a stand and make a statement, and they crawled under the cloak of the mighty Euro and took a hard pass. All right, nothing personal. Pick of the days when we make a pick. We are 162 and 145. We're 17 games over. We didn't do a pick of the day the last two days. I had a pick of the day ready for yesterday, Coca. And you know what it was, and you're not going to give me credit for it, and I understand. But deep down in a place that you know, you know that we have the Cowboys minus four and a half over the Saints. But we're not taking credit for it. The last pick we had was the Warriors beating the Suns. And the Suns ended up winning, covering. Steph Curry had the worst game of his, of his year, scored 12 points. So we're only 17 over. Well, I've got a pick for you. I've got the Grizzlies minus 72 over the Thunder. Now, you're going to get paid more than one-to-one on that because nobody's ever won by 73 points. It's impossible. That just doesn't happen. But that's my pick. Coco, what day are we releasing this show? On, on we're not are we releasing it on the third? All right, so that game will be over already when we do it. The Grizzlies already will have played the Thunder. Wait, wait don't put this in the show, obviously, but you edit edit it out at the end. But when we release this, when the Grizzlies game is over, then oh, so people will not want the pick. But I'm saying this before the game. All right, so, so we'll just tell we'll tell listeners that it was done before. All right, ready? Come, bring me back in. Four, eight, sixty-nine. 
We're recording this show prior to the Grizzlies-Thunder game, and my pick for Thursday is the following, because I'm recording this on Thursday, December 2nd, is Memphis minus 72 over the Thunder. My pick for Friday is the Warriors minus seven over the Suns as the Suns try for 18 in a row. My pick for Saturday, there's a Big Ten championship game. Get ready. Iowa plus 11. Me and Chris Hassler are going to watch the game together. Chris Hassel works for CBS Sports HQ, one of the funniest men you'll ever meet. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should. If you're not watching him on CBS Sports HQ with Amanda, you should. Iowa plus 11? Is Harbaugh going to be able to rebound from that unbelievable victory against Ohio State and take his position in the top four of the CFB standings and get himself a Big Ten championship? Maybe, but not by 11. And then Sunday, we got a big game. It's not that big. The Niners are on the road against the Seahawks. I'm going to keep choosing against the Seahawks because I can't figure out these lines. Jimmy Garoppolo has been one of the hottest quarterbacks. And boom, Niners minus three over Seattle. So those are the four picks. Grizzlies minus 72, Warriors minus 7 over the Suns, Iowa plus 11 over Michigan, Niners minus 3 over Seattle. Okay, guess who's not playing this weekend? Yeah, you guessed it, Antonio Brown. We haven't given Antonio Brown any sort of attention on this show in quite a while. Antonio Brown's had plenty of problems. He was signed and plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He did something that people are doing all across the country and he got caught doing it as others are so a little public service announcement for you if you don't want to get vaccinated which i think is cray cray but if you don't then stand up and say i'm not vaccinated but don't buy on the black market or online or somehow forge a vaccination card that shows you're vaccinated. That's a crime. I've given you this PSA many times before. I view it slightly differently than using a fake ID, though the government may not. Alex P. Keaton used a fake ID to vote. Some people use a fake ID to get into a bar or buy McLovin some drinks at a stop and shop. But a vaccination card that purposefully misleads your employer or a restaurant or somehow endangers other people because it does. When I'm into a bar and I'm 20, I'm not endangering anyone. I may be taking a bar, a seat at the bar. I may be hitting on someone who you'd be hitting on if I weren't there. I may be succeeding in a place where you're now going to fail. I grant you that I may impact your night out with my deceit. However... I have no chance of getting you sick, only making you sick. Making up being vaccinated is the lowest of the low in that framework. Antonio Brown told the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his teammate Mike Edwards, by the way, told the Buccaneers, here's my vax card. I'm vaxxed. I don't need the protocols. Don't need to wear the mask. Don't need to do anything. And we can now say we're 100% vaccinated. Way to go. Guess what? Antonio Brown made that up. 
he had a falsified card, and the NFL has now suspended him for three games. Three games in the NFL is approximately 30%. Let's just say that, right? Although there's now 17 games, but it doesn't matter. Not 30%, excuse me. (laughs) 1.7 games is 10%. 3.4 games is 20%. So three games is around 17% of a season. Baseball, 160 games, 162 games. You're talking about a 25-game suspension in baseball. Almost a month. It's a pretty significant suspension, isn't it? Antonio Brown's going to lose about 500 grand, and people are up in arms. A three-game suspension for that? Do you realize how much money is involved with games being played? Do you realize that even people vaccinated can get COVID, but it just means you're going to not have symptoms and not have to go into a hospital and not die? Do you know there are new strains of COVID that are happening that make commissioners fear for what could happen if players aren't available, especially because Roger Goodell was clear, I don't care who has COVID, the game will go on. If you have to play your wide receiver as quarterback in a playoff game, the games will go on. We are not messing with the schedule. Messing with the schedule costs money. Therefore, we have enacted these protocols that everybody's following, and we've done it for the sole purpose of making sure that our season continues. Okay. But as a result, we are going to negotiate with the union what the penalties are for people who violate these protocols. Did you know that the union and the league agreed on the suspensions? There's no grieving it. Did you know the union and the league agreed on the protocols? It is so rare for a union and a league to have agreement on something as it relates to players and players missing time and players being fined and suspended. But the players' union recognizes the same way the owners do, that it is in the best interests of everybody. It's one of those unique intersecting points between players and management where being on the field with the best possible product is the best thing for everyone to have the most revenue, which is directly tied to salary cap, which is directly tied to salaries. Coke is whispering in my ear that Antonio Brown only lost 183000 I don't think that's right. I think that's what Mike Edwards lost. I think Brown lost more but he may think I'm wrong. He's saying I'm wrong. He's saying he's right. Wait to see. I am not going off back from what I said. I believe he's losing half a million dollars. If I'm wrong, I'll correct it, Coca, but I'm going to need more proof than you whispering in my ear in the middle of a show. Antonio Brown and Mike Edwards accepted their punishment and aren't going to appeal. Why? They have zero chance of winning. I'm moving on. I want to catch you up on two things, if you don't mind. Remember I did wait to seize before the show started or during the show? And I told you that on December 21st or December 1st, we had a wait to see about the lockout and I gave my wait to see for today. Well, it's important that I go back and revisit old wait to seize always. And the reason I like doing that 
is the accountability factor. And if you're new to the show, you may not realize, but when I'm wrong, I admit that I'm wrong. People send me corrections to the show all the time. People tell me when I say things or do things incorrectly, and I want to show you that I'm human, that I'm doing a 45-minute show, unedited, every day. Of course, I'm going to say things that are wrong. But wait to seize are yet another level where I'm telling you what I think is going to happen, and I don't want to just revisit the ones that I'm right. I have to revisit the ones that I'm wrong as well. Back in August, August 9th of 2021, when the NBA said that they were going to investigate the Miami Heat for the signing and trading, for the sign and trade of Kyle Lowry, I told you that the NBA will not fine the Miami Heat for the sign and trade of Kyle Lowry that they did with the Raptors. Remember what the NBA did with the Bogdanovich case with Milwaukee last year. Milwaukee did a sign and trade and they reversed it. And then they charged Milwaukee. Milwaukee lost a pick. Guess what? The NBA did the same thing to the Heat. I was shocked. But the NBA took away a draft pick from the Miami Heat. Which means that they found that Pat Riley had an agreement with the Raptors prior to the allowed time to communicate. And then soon after, you are allowed to make sign and trade deals. Too soon after, they consummated the deal. If I'm Pat Riley, and I've been around the block 25 times, why do you have to announce it five minutes after the deadline or one day after the deadline? Why not wait a few days? Why not, once you saw what the NBA did with the Milwaukee Bucks, why not prove that you took the time once you were allowed to do what you did to do it, and therefore you can ignore all that you did before you were allowed to do it? Because all teams are talking to players and agents before they're allowed to in every sport. Always. But at least try. But these announcements that get made like in the first 10 minutes of the free agent frenzy in the NBA, and then they wonder why they lose a draft pick, well, they did. And the second wait to see that I need to revisit was just from under a month ago, November 17th, 2021. The Green Bay Packers put 300,000 shares up for sale at $300, raising 90 million. And I said, they'll be sold out in a week. Those are the greatest Christmas presents ever. And with inflation, what's $300? It's like milk. It's like gas. Filling your car with gas is 300 bucks. But alas, a week passed and there's still shares available. So the wait to see from November 17th, 2021, that the Packers will not have shares available after a week ended up being wrong. Well, that's our week. Good luck with the picks. Let's go Memphis. We'll be back Monday. And until then, remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.